0: Hey, this episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by MXR Bass Innovations. MXR has been a leader in guitar effects for over 45 years. MXR Bass Innovations creates bass effects pedals from the ground up, each one specifically designed for bass players by bass players. Not repurposed guitar pedals, but their overdrive, fuzz, EQ, pre DI, octave, distortion, compressor, or chorus, these tried-and-true stomp boxes are designed by Dunlop's award-winning team of bassists and engineers. Go to JimDunlop.com and check out MXR Bass Innovations for your bass effects. What's up, my friends? Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. The Bass Freaks Podcast is a place to gain some insight and inspiration, as well as learn a little something about some truly amazing bass players. I'm your host, Josh Paul, and today's guest is Pete Griffin. Pete is a very accomplished bassist touring the world with Zappa Plays Zappa, Hanson, Edgar Winter, as well as many of his own projects. He shared the stage with some extra heavy hitters, including Steve Vai, Terry Bozio, Stanley Clark, and many, many others. My brother, Pete, (laughs) thank you for coming on the Bass Freaks Podcast.
1: Oh, man, this is this is certainly my pleasure. It's, uh, it's kind of, you guys have the luminaries of, of bass playing on here. Like all my heroes have done this. So this is really cool that, that I get to be here, too. I'm, I'm I'm honored for sure.
0: Oh, dude, we're honored to have you. So let's let's uh, let's talk a little bit about some of your history.
1: Well, um, it's funny. We were just talking about you, you living in L.A. I feel like about 20 years ago, which is a frightening number, uh, we were in the same sort of circuit of auditions for a bunch of stuff uh, through that guy, Barry Squire Uh, and and all that. Yeah. Um, So it's yeah, I moved to L.A. in 2001, uh, right before 9-11. Sadly enough, Um, I'm from New York, uh, but I went to school in Chicago and then, you know, did the normal try to get going in L.A. thing. I, I started answering every ad for Bass Player Wanted that I could find regardless of if there was money or if the music sounded interesting or weird or whatever.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, Before you go any further, let me stop you. Give me the worst experience from doing that.
1: Oh, that's a huge list in itself. But the one that comes to mind, uh, go to somebody's garage, um, start playing with these people. Uh, A fight breaks out. Oh, between wow. between the uh the guy who's running the band and like the keyboard player who realized that this was not worth his time and they're having all this attitude and screaming at each other i don't know anybody i'm you know we're all strangers <laughs> so i'm just kind of standing there like really kind of checking out the knobs on my bass and uh, you know wiping some dust off it while these two like are almost coming to blows and yeah that was that, that was when i was like okay i should maybe start having some sort of vetting process <laughs> to the to this whole thing instead of just going to to anybody's garage anywhere right okay um, so
0: so was there a surprising best experience that came from that
1: um there's still there's still a lot of gigs that i still have that a lot of connections at least that i still have from back in that day um awesome uh, Basically, I mean, that's kind of how I got into the whole auditioning world and kind of uh, I started working at the Musicians Institute. I never went there, but I was a TA, I was a teacher's assistant. So I basically played bass for drum and guitar classes, uh, which was actually a really amazing sort of second education because I was reading a different chart every hour. You know, Uh, I was working there almost 40 hours a week at one point. So, uh, Maurice, who was, you know, in charge of the bass department there, uh, for, for a long time, he, uh, helped me sort of get my name out there, got me into the whole audition circuit. And then, uh, through that, I wound up getting, uh, the gig with Hanson, uh, in 2003 and worked with them for about three years. And that was just really incredible. There, there was a while, especially when I got more into the metal scene in my later years, where I was slightly embarrassed to say that I had played with Hanson. But now I'm super proud of it because a, they're still going. they're They're a hardworking bunch of dudes. They're just another, I mean, people, what's amazing about them is every time they release a new album, like every other band on the planet every three years or so, they get onto CNN because it's like, well, you remember those kids in Hansen? Well, they're <laughs> back with a new record and blah blah. blah. And I'm like, yeah, they've been doing that for for 20 years now, plus plus. Right. but it was it was a really amazing. First experience and helped me learn how to tour, which, as you know, is in itself a skill. You know, it's, right. it has very little to do with bass playing and so much more to do with self-care and uh, not getting lost in the, the the party of it all or being lonely or any of that stuff. You know, so I, I, I quickly got a, a crash course in that. I was a little spoiled that we went. I, I went straight to a gig where the entire crowd knew every word to every song and we're on a bus and all that stuff. I kind of skipped over the van opening tour kind so, of vibe.
0: So so Hanson was your first like real pro gig.
1: Real big gig, yeah. And, and then in 06, I got the opportunity to audition for Dweezil's band called Zappa Play Zappa, where it was playing his dad's music, of which I'm pretty much the biggest fan you can find. I had already, I, I knew Joe Travers, the drummer for it, just kind of around town. And he came over to my place one day and saw my 30 Apple CDs lined up on my CD rack. Remember those? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> and, I still uh, have one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got one somewhere. Um, so he knew I was I was familiar with the stuff. I got the call to audition. I was like, there's no way I'm getting this because it was supposed to be Brian Bell.er playing bass for that right and some scheduling things happened so he wound up not doing it and they needed to audition just the bass player so i went and audition i was like yes i'll go up to frank zappa's house and studio and play his music with his son and joe travers and just kind of get through it i'm never going to get the gig but i'll go do it and somehow i got the gig and F- friezel called me on my drive home and i almost drove off mulholland <laughs> I was like so so excited uh and so i did that for about six years and it was we, we won a Grammy. toured the world, uh, played with Frank, which was incredible. Where he's, I mean, obviously he's deceased, but we had um, isolated audio and video of his solos and vocals from some live shows. So he would suddenly pop up on a screen behind us, oh, wow. and I'm up there, like literally pinching myself, going, "Am I really playing with Frank's Zappa right now? Like, holy crap! Like it was, it was, it still gives me chills." And what's kind of cool is full circle. We've reunited that band without Dweezel because Dweezel's busy with his own stuff. Um, and we've been playing shows again, and it, like 15 years later, you know, and we have playing, such a cool Playing girl, Zappa music? Playing Zappa music. Oh, okay. we, have the, we have this band called One Shot Deal. Cool. Uh, we played at the Baked Potato a bunch of nights sometime. Was that last year already? No, it was about six months ago. And then we're doing one this Friday. And just the, those guys are my family, those guys and girl. Like, we've, we've all stayed in such touch. Jamie Kime, the guitar player, uh, he and I toured with Dr. John together for a little bit. He's on every one of my albums. I'm on his albums. Like, it's it's really turned into this really family thing after all that time. And then since then, since 2011, since I left that band, I've kind of, it's just been jumping around from, from project to project. Um, the biggest one being this thing called Generation X, which is... It's like a G3 guitar summit thing, but it's five of them.
0: Uh, who is and it? And
1: it's Steve Vai, Ingve Molstein Zach Wild, Juno Bencourt, and Tosin Abasi from Animalist Leaders. And a few, I, a few guitar uh, players
0: nobody's really heard of.
1: Yeah, exactly. Some <laughs> some 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 chumps. That they're they're on their way up though. They're really making a name for themselves now. Uh, <laughs> but um, keep, keep putting I, in I, that work, guys. Yeah, and I have both. I have both the honor and the. Uh, the sort of glutton for punishment of playing with all of them uh, in, a, in a three and a half hour show, which uh, it's, it's funny because I, I, I play with a lot of these shredders now. I also tour with Paul Gilbert from time to time. I toured tour with Tony McAlpine. Oh, yeah. um, I didn't really grow up on that music. I grew up more on funk and jam bands at jazz and Frank Zappa and Miles Davis and all that stuff. But because of meeting, Steve Vai was a, a special guest with the initial Zappa tour, with the initial Dweezil tour. And he and I just sort of stayed in touch. And he was putting this, you know, m- monster of a super group together called Generation X. And he asked me to do it. I said, absolutely. And it's kind of cool because I, I like gigs much like the Zappa gig, much like that, where I wind up using literally all of my skills all together. Oh. Right, because each of those guys are so vastly different. Tosin stuff is the crazy new proto jazz metal where I'm just lucky to to keep up with them really and keep all the time signatures straight. Yeah. And then Nuno is a bunch of extreme tunes, which is like kind of fun 90s, 80s funk metal. Zach, we basically just play some Sabbath tunes. So I just, he takes long solos. So I'm just jamming, which was a big thing I grew up on. Steve is much closer to Frank Zappa where things need to be perfect, perfect. And then Ingve, you're sort of just along for the ride with him. And, uh, <laughs> and he, he, kicked, he kicks off a song and then just starts wailing over it and me and the drummer try to power through it and everything. So it's yeah. a, a, I'm very, very lucky in many, many senses. But that one in particular, just that I'm, I seem to never be stuck playing one type of music. I, I'm always kind of jumping around. to so the point where people ask me, what's your favorite type of music to play? And I'll go, whatever I'm not currently playing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, so, I'm sort of restless like that, you know? Like we, we all, I, I think most bass players are kind of like that just because we're able to, to wear different hats and jump from one gig to the next and do the pop gig and do the rock gig and do the metal gig and do the jazz gig. And I, I wouldn't have it any other way, really. Like, it's, there's nothing I'm, uh, I, I'm missing, ultimately. It's, uh, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate in that sense.
0: That's nice to be satisfied like that being yeah. able to, to jump around like that. What do you think is the most important skill to be able to accomplish and, and keep that gig, especially with those huge shredder guitar players that are, right. you know, I mean, you got to do a lot of playing and thinking. <laughs> I'm, yes. Yeah, that.
1: definitely. Keep it straight. I, I a, a big part of it is preloading all the work that I do. So I, you're not, I I make sure everything is learned before the first day of rehearsal, you know, like uh, so that I can go in and be able to change things up if I need to, if they're changing arrangements from the version that I learned or whatever. But it's uh, a lot of it is also just kind of personality where I, I'm not the star of that gig. I'm very, very well aware of it. I'm up there the entire time. It's really more there in my band. (laughs) in that sense like I'm on stage for three and a half hours and they come and go right but uh but I have no delusions of grandeur about any of that I I know whose name is on the marquee to the point where after the very first tour Nuno gave me the best worst compliment where he said man this whole tour I like barely even noticed you (laughs) (laughs) And, and, um, and he goes and I'm like thanks. (laughs) thanks. I think. <laughs> and he goes, no, literally for this type of gig, that's exactly what you need. Like that's all these giant personalities, all these people who are, are, are the artists, right. And they want their art to come out the way they want it to come out. So I just go along. with it. I don't, I don't really try to insert too much of myself into anything. Although you can't not, you know, right. like I'm, I'm, I, I realized now I've put my fingerprints on everything I've ever done, but in the moment I'm trying to emulate whatever, their, what is, whatever is needed for that particular gig in that sense so the, the chops thing is one part of it obviously like just being able to able to play it and understand you know, each different concept but really the the behind the scenes stuff I've learned and I'm sure you know about this too is, is, as, is as important if not more so because we've also done tours of so many of us where you're playing an opening set for a half hour every day which means playing music is 1 of your time. <laughs> while when you're on that tour, the yeah. rest of it is sitting around some crappy backstage or a smelly band or whatever. And just being able to kind of like not lose your mind in that sense and not, you know, like I said before, fall into the darkness of touring that, that we hear about. That's as much of a skill as anything else. And I try to, I tell my students that a lot, like it's it, there's even for all the gigs I do, there's a dozen, if not a hundred, other bass players that can do it. Technically, it's more: who do you want to be around during all that downtime? Who's uh, not a who's not a legal liability? <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a great point. In, who can get in and out of Canada? <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> things like that. All all the stuff we've all dealt with. Where you know, uh, I'm I'm super lucky that just. I'm a pretty mellow guy and I love tour. I, I absolutely do. It's, it's. I, I'm sort of built for it. I love, I sleep better on the bus than I do anywhere else. You know, so it's, p- people work so hard, um, especially I, I, having gone to music school. So much of it is sitting in a practice room by yourself, right? T- t- doing all this stuff. And, but you can kind of get lost into that world a little too much. And you have to remember that you got to do the hang, you know? And so, a big part of that was out here there was a there used to be a Monday night jam at the baked potato. And just going to that and chatting with people and hanging out, I'd get gigs with people who had never even really heard me play. They just liked my vibe. You know, and it's not like I'm the coolest guy in the world or whatever, but it's more just like they know, like I said, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna derail whatever else they've got going on. Right. You know? So it's um it, it's it's really cool that I can. Um, i'm able to sort of hop around like that and then also notice when i'm maybe not the right guy for it mm-hmm. you know like even even some gigs
0: give me a, give me an example of 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 something in sort of that you've experienced
1: like um very that. recently uh <laughs> that this is you know we don't like talking about gigs we didn't get right but um i had the opportunity to semi-audition for kenny Loggins's band. Uh, And so I actually went up to Kenny's house and met him. And he's the nicest guy you can imagine. Gorgeous house, really, you know, just a really sweetheart of a dude. He quickly realized that I wasn't a good enough singer. Mm. So he actually hooked me up with his vocal coach to take a couple vocal lessons. And I'm practicing my butt off with it. But even as I'm doing it, I'm going, I don't think I would hire me for this gig. You know, bass playing, I got it. Bass playing and singing, maybe not so much so he wound up going with someone else and i'm kind of glad he did because i think i would have been too stressed out yeah like like just worrying that something that comes really naturally to another bass player who's been singing their whole life i'm i'm an okay singer i can i can get it together when i need to this was like almost every song you're singing and playing throughout the whole thing and kenny's very very specific about what he wants so and maybe I'm just telling myself it's OK that I didn't get it, but it's really it's really more like, yeah, I'm, I was not the right guy for that, you know, right. and there's yeah. there's kind of, um, you know, some peace I can find in that. I'm not I'm not losing sleep. It would have been amazing. I could have played the Hollywood Bowl, all this stuff. But like I said, I think I would have been too stressed, I you know, that. thinking things trying to keep up. You know.
0: Right. And you were able to recognize that. So, right yeah,
1: all so. peace. All good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so,
0: exactly. Before all of this, before you got you know your fulfilled a dream of, of playing with you know Zappa music. Mm-hmm. Um, what interested you in in bass itself?
1: Wow. Um, the song "Walking on the Moon" by the Police. Mm. The the intro to that. I I don't think I even knew what a bass was at the time, but just hearing da, 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 just that, I'm like. I was so drawn to it. And, 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 and then as I started developing a sense of, okay, what goes into be, uh, the band, right? What instrument is what and all that, you know, you, when, you're, when you're 10 years old, you don't necessarily hear the instruments in a song, you hear the song, right? right? So I, going back to song, I love kind of doing this actually, going back to music that I knew every, like inside and out before I ever touched an instrument, I realized I was the parts that I'm singing in my head 75% of the time are, in fact, the bass parts. Uh. So even before I knew what it was, my ear was just drawn to that frequency and the supportive role, I think, is a big part of it too. I, I like to say that, you know, all us musicians are you know, egotists to a certain extent. <laughs> I'd like us. I, I say us bass players are the least egotistical on the stage because we're there to support everybody else. Right. And I and I've always, I've always liked that concept. I want to be on the stage. I want to be on the spotlight but not the main spotlight. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm perfectly fine to lurk in the background, take my one solo, and then that's it. Uh, so it was. it's kind of amazing. I've actually been doing that a lot recently, of revisiting, I have a, I have a much older brother who introduced me to a lot of the, the, the cooler music that maybe I wouldn't have found on my own. Go back and listen to those things, and I'm like, oh yeah, I always was drawn to the lines of this stuff. I'm playing with this band now called Progject, which is a prog rock cover band okay um so we're doing a bunch of genesis and yes and king crimson and emerson lincoln palmer and all that stuff genesis and yes were huge for me as a as a teenager and even younger and listening now like stuff that i mike rutherford is is a ridiculously good bass player and i had no idea of that when i was a kid listening to that stuff and now i'm learning these parts and like struggling with some of them because it's it's very picky and stuff and it's just uh it's kind of cool coming back around to these things and being like, "Oh, I guess I always was was a bass player even before I played bass." You know, um, so that was that was pretty crucial.
0: That's awesome. How old were you when you started playing bass? When you first picked up a bass?
1: My parents got me one for Christmas of when I was thirteen. What was it? Uh, guitar research. Guitar um, research. A, a red guitar research. I think it was a PJ. Okay. Um, and it was I had played trumpet for a while and I was pretty good but practicing was homework. It wasn't fun. Okay. Uh, and so I got that and opened up the box and throngs of angels were singing and a shaft of light <laughs> comes down from the heavens. And like, it literally was, was a coming together of things. And then quickly it, uh, to much to the chagrin of my parents, um, supplanted everything else I wanted to do. Like I, I saw through high school, my biology textbook would be sitting on the bed and I'd be practicing bass and learning Zeppelin songs off the radio and you know, stuff like that. Gotcha. Uh, they've luckily come around now. Hi, mom and dad, thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, they, uh, you know, in as, as terms of playing music professionally, it's, it's a scary concept yeah. by far. And, and still, you know, it's, it's still a struggle tw- 20 years in. And, and we, uh, there's just so much change in the music industry as uh, compared to any other, really. And so, what's kind of nice about that is with things like the pandemic and even some, some, uh, the financial crash of a few, like about a decade ago, we're used to that as musicians. We're used to suddenly having to pick up and shift or, you know, find a new way of income or find a way to supplement your income while you still chase your dream, you know, to the point where that's not nearly the, it's, it used to be the exception to the rule. And now I know tons of great musicians who actually make their their rent off something else. Right. And it's, I, the way they explain it to me is, is it's pretty liberating because they don't need to uh, um, worry about taking every single game that, that's uh, thrown at them. They can focus yeah. more on what they want to do because they're being a property manager or because you know they're driving Uber or whatever it is. And that used to kind of be like, oh, man, I'm sorry you had to go get a day job. But I have some friends that are like, no, you don't understand. Like, this means I only do the music I want to do rather than taking some hundred dollar gig right. three hours away. That's, you know, less exciting. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of cool watching all those changes and then sitting and then being able to even provide some help to my friends who are non-musicians as the, uh, as the economy crashed. And they're like, and they were all set on their straight lane that they thought was really, really like sturdy and, and you know, there's going to be no problems. They could do that job forever. Suddenly, it's gone. Yeah, I'm like, welcome to my world. <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> I get it, man. What yeah. uh, what do you see as the biggest change in the music business lately?
1: Um, really, a good question. Uh, the, just the whole Zoom thing. You know, uh, which which a lot of people jumped on. I, I I've always I've, I've been teaching a lot like this, which I love doing. I mm-hmm. have a bunch of students all over the planet, really, and all over America, and it's, cool. I've gotten really I've gotten really good at being able to still provide some um, feedback via a Zoom thing. You can't play with them, you know. There there is some limitations, mm-hmm. but uh, just by analysis of watching them play, talking to them, figuring out what they want to do, I can I can help. I'd like to thank any pretty much anybody that's at an intermediate or beginner level to to whatever they're wherever they're trying to get. The people who started doing all the the Instagram stuff, TikTok and all that. I think it's amazing. I don't I think I'm a little too old to learn that entire new skill and set up a bunch of cameras in here and do that. I really wish it came a little more naturally to me, so I'm a little jealous of those guys. But at the same time, I haven't if it's not natural, it's not going to be natural, right? right? If, if it looks like I'm forcing it, them, it's not going to get viewed as much as the guys who are amazing at it. So I've, I've kind of found some peace with that too. But I feel like the self-promotion and the uh, you know the Instagram and TikTok of it all has sort of taken over to a certain extent to the point where people are, are getting gigs that way, right. you know, like people are like, oh, I saw your Instagram. I can tell you can do this gig you're on you're on like that that's the audition right you know so that that's it's it's kind of cool to see and uh a lot of my students are now out doing gigs kind of because of that and uh it's it's a modern marvel in some ways you don't necessarily need to be in the same room and go jam with some people you can kind of do this file sharing way of doing things and it all it all works out and turns into real work so that's it's pretty impressive
0: you think that's a positive or a negative
1: or just uh, I mean, or it just both. is <laughs> I think it's I think it's more it just is it's kind of like it, it, so much of this stuff it's like if you don't if you don't get on the bus it's gonna leave you you know like right, it, it, right. It, it, if you were if if I was so against making these videos and stuff like that people just wouldn't ask me to do it and I wouldn't get called as much you know so right. it's there is a certain as much as I it I, I was reluctant to start doing all the filming and all that stuff. And anytime I need to film something for a gear company or something like that, my wife gets mad at me because she's like, I've been hearing you talk about how you have to do this for like two weeks. Just do it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I got to set up the film. And she's like, just do it. You know how to do it. Just do it.
0: Right. You know,
1: so, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. Just, just shut up and do it. Yeah. So I, I think there is a sort of, you know, a, 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 some of the older musicians I know, you know, they still talk about, Be be things like being in the union and union rates and getting mailbox money from residuals. And I'm like, I, I, I missed that sort of, you know, I think that that I came in a little too late for some of that world. There, there is some of it out there, but the, the consistency of the session musician sort of thing that's kind of gone away, you know, you kind of, it's, it's we all have to wear a bunch of different hats.
0: Absolutely. These days,
1: and and quickly switch around from producing to teaching to writing to just being recording to engineering. I've learned how to run Logic good enough that I can engineer my own sessions. That makes me cheaper for the the client because they don't have to hire a studio or an engineer or any of that stuff. I send them an edited file, and it's all good. Right. So yeah. I think I think you have to hop on board, but you have to stay true to yourself. You know, and I think that's the important part is that there's a lot of people who are, if it's like I said before, if it's forced, it's going to look forced, you know, so that that's a big part of it.
0: I hear that. Uh, let's talk about gear, man. What yeah. What? What gear inspires you currently?
1: Wow. Um, well, since this is the, the Dunlop thing, uh, but not, <laughs> not even that, that new poly blue octave thing that they made. That's my is, favorite pedal right now. Yeah yeah it's kind like of ridiculous it. i've I've been with a lot of the power trio stuff I do mm-hmm. um I've always wanted a high octave to put in for when it's guitar solo and uh, like you know um and I need to be rhythm guitar and bass at the same mm-hmm. time and I've never found one that didn't sound the high octave thing didn't sound chip monkey uh, you yeah. know and like weird and thin and or stuff and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this one between those two upper octaves and all that, and then all the other kind of bells and whistles that that thing can do, I'm still kind of figuring it out, to be honest. Um, but it's, it's really incredible. It's the uh, MXR in general, they, they make such usable stuff that you don't need a PhD in, in pedal performance to, to figure out. You know, like you, you plug it in, put things where you think they should sound good, and then go from there.
0: That's my Standard. thing. I just want to like turn a few knobs. Oh, this yeah. sounds great. Let's go.
1: Yeah, count off the song. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, <laughs> and that's, I've, I've had a long-standing relationship with Ashdown amps, mm. and that's that's exactly why. Like literally, I because I, I, so much we do now is backline, right? You, you hardly ever bring your own amp to a gig anymore Right. Uh, as, as much as I miss that, or you're all on in-ears, which is a whole other conversation. But um, anytime I see that it's an Ashdown, they're not as ubiquitous as an svt which is not my favorite amp by far or a gk which are good but still ashton has just sort of been my tone from the beginning because i walk in i give it a hug and then i, I set all the <laughs> i set all the knobs flat literally i set basement treble flat and then they have the sliders in between which you can tune to the room plug in and i say okay count off the song you know it's not a matter of oh let me figure out what this knob does what is what is spectral enhancer what is you know right. all this like all these things you have to sit there and play turn play turn right. you know uh and that takes a good five ten minutes to get your tone when i whenever it's any of the f sound abm series i'm like cool uh, I, need, I need zero time in this sound check to get my tone going so I'm, I'm really excited about that. I recently have had this Rickenbacker that you see sitting here for um, a few years now, and only because of the prog band have I started playing it. And it's actually really fun. It, it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around it because it's sort of just a differently crafted instrument than the Fender-style stuff that we're all a little more used to. Yeah. Between, between the two truss rods and the neck through and, and the way the pickups work and all that, it's sort of like a different beast, even though it's still just a four-string bass. So it took me a while to wrap my head around it, but now I'm, now I'm really digging it. You like the uh, uh,
0: passive or active bass is better?
1: Mostly passive uh, because it's another thing to go wrong if you have active, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Even when I've just changed the battery, there will be a moment on stage where I'll think that the battery's dying uh, or whatever, even though I literally changed it before the gig. So I, yeah. And also, my first active bass ever, I... It took me a while till I read in Bass Player magazine. Uh, RIP, by the way, as as they're putting out their last print issue ever, which is yeah. very sad. Sigh.
0: Sorry, um, sorry. <laughs>
1: Sigh. I le- yeah, I learned about their um, uh, the whole thing of don't leave it plugged in, right? Right. <laughs> and yeah. so even that alone, I'm, I even me knowing that, I'll still occasionally walk back into my studio and see that my active bass was plugged in all night and just shake my head like I, I should know okay. better. <laughs> so, so just in general, and I just, you know, um, after a while of searching around, I kind of wound up back at Fender style basses. I've done a lot of their demos and stuff there's a reason that, you know, 75% of the music we all know inside and out was recorded on a P or a J it's because so it sounds like bass, you know?
0: Do you, do you feel like, uh, for you personally, it's just a familiar feeling and tone or it's just... Is, is there something about it that you really, really dig?
1: Yeah, it's it, that, that's, that's an interesting sort of inverted question into itself. Do we, do we like that tone because we've been hearing it all the time and therefore it's what sounds like bass to us? Or does it match the tone in our head outside of anything else? You mm-hmm. know, so... uh that that's i am not really sure how to answer it to be perfectly honest i think there's sort of an an interesting concept to it where all our favorite bass players from 60s 70s 80s most likely were playing one of those uh and so it's it's kind of like okay to emulate that which is what you do when you first pick up the instrument Mm -hmm. you you sort of you, you want to sound like your heroes right
0: uh
1: so you kind of chase that down to a certain extent and after trying a few different things i wound up back at at Mostly J bases, and then in the last uh, maybe ten years or so, more of a, a P base, just because I love the way it just kind of grabs hold of the bottom end and doesn't let go. But it's
0: you know, what do you think goes into uh, a good bass tone? Name some ingredients. What do you think? Yeah,
1: great. Another great question. To the point where I, I say this a lot, I much prefer compliments on my tone and my timing rather than my chops. Mm. right chops are sort of chops took about five or six years to get together and then that's about it like yes you can always get a little better a little faster a little more accurate or whatever but it's really for me it's way more about i just want to put the note right where it's supposed to be and have the tone be exactly what i want it to be and just have that consistency if you go on uh, like we're talking about instagram and all that stuff there are 12 year olds who can play circles around at this point in terms of you know the, the, the Jocko uh, worship and or some, some slapping thing. The chops thing is no longer uh, that much of, an, of a novel thing. It's, you know, everyone's got it to a certain extent because we've all been exposed to it. So the tone and the timing I think is much more important and kind of what gets you gigs. So uh, I like grit. I like a uh, clank on the tone. We're also living in an era where for most of your favorite songs, if you type in name of the song Isolated Bass on YouTube, somebody has either uploaded the the one that they ripped off Guitar Hero or some other way, some engineer somehow got a hold of Master Tapes and put it in there. And that happened a lot uh, with the Zappa Bass when I was playing with, with Weasel. Oh, wow. Because Joe, the drummer, had access to all of his Master Tapes. So for the song we won the Grammy for, Peaches and Regalia, I had just the bass and drums isolated from it. So I could hear exactly the notes he played, but also the tone. And same for a lot of those other songs. And what's really incredible is when you listen to the final mix, you hear bass and it sounds like bass. It's bottom endy, it's you know, kind of rounded edges, all that stuff. You hear it isolated, and it's way brighter and click clickier and clankier than what it sounds like in the mix. And then you realize that sort of top end that's on it without getting Super modern sounding is what helps it cut through the mix, right. right? And so, like the sort of tubiness of it, a little bit of grit on it, you know, kind of digging in and, and all that. So that that's sort of my that that's the type that's the type of tone that gets me excited. Um, at the same time, and I also hit really hard. I hit the really hard with my with my right hand. Yeah. You know, I kind of yanked the crap out of the strings. At the same time. As I've taught and, and uh, a bunch of students and sort of exposed myself to players that are unlike me in that sense, there are, there's that whole kind of camp of, you know, I think Gary Willis and uh, Matt Garrison sort of started it, of, no, don't play that hard. Let, let the amp do the work and put the ramp under the strings so you can't actually pull through, like, get underneath it and all that. And at first I was like, well, that's dumb. You know, like, how are you going to get it to sound good? And then I hear those guys and I'm like, well, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, so there, there are different paths to, to the same goal. And I think that it's not so, it's not so, okay, you get a P bass and that's it right. sort of thing anymore. You know, you, there's a lot more options out there and a lot more exposure of these different styles. I'm, I, I'm really interested in the whole fan fret thing. Mm. you know like what a cool concept like what, what as much as I said I love my the Fender style and just Fenders in general we're stuck there there, there's, there hasn't been much innovation in terms of that in a while so these new types of pickups this new fan fret thing like you know some of the different tunings that people are using I think that's all amazing and I hope it continues because why not you know yeah. like there's why innovation is what pushes all this stuff forward um, so absolutely yeah uh, you
0: play Lakeland basses too, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and a D Lakeland, which is uh, the guy that started Lakeland, Dan Lakin, He right. uh, he gave me uh, a really amazing opportunity when I first started playing, and 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 helped me kind of make a couple dream basses for myself. And then when he sold the company, he started his own thing, and my my main P bass is is a D Lakeland. Uh, that was it's a Korean made one, and I I freaking love it and. A big part of um, endorsing stuff for me is I don't I I don't want to endorse something that I would never buy myself. Right. You know, Uh, so some of these ridiculously expensive bases, I'll I'll actually kind of turn down because I don't I I can't really tell my student that they must go buy a four thousand dollar instrument when they're struggling to get, you know, the, the little bit of money together for the lesson yeah. <laughs> to begin with, you know? Right, so right. I, I kind of like finding stuff in the intermediate range of pricing and and not necessarily quality because that that could vary wildly. And I, I'm much more likely to back something like that up. So the 1000 to $2,000 range, I think, is very accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can get a, a very pro instrument at that level. And so, uh, so when Dan started doing that and now he's, uh, he's working with Ashdown, strangely enough, where oh, there car. are, there I are Ashdown bases. Yeah. That are, that are a, a Dan Lake in design and they're priced very reasonably and all that. But yeah, the, 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 Lakelands in general, them, them too. I mean, they're, they're, they're still just doing great. And, and uh, there's Is just there a- their attention to detail, you know, like the, the way they, they don't sell the base or give out, well, you know, that they didn't test themselves right you know they made sure okay. there's the, the problem with some of the larger companies is sometimes the quality control can't keep up with the output so but there'll be a, a mismatched neck and body it just doesn't work out for whatever reason that that would never happen with, with Lakeland
0: right on uh, no. what drew you to to actually working with them was it was it initially the opportunity that
1: Dan gave you, or was it? Um, did you were you a of, fan yeah. of the bases already? Or yeah, it was more that uh, okay. th- there was a bass player out here who was sort of a uh, mentor to me when I first moved out here, named Mark Meadows. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm not sure he's even really playing all that much anymore, but he used to play with Edgar Winter um, and helped me do a couple gigs with him and then some other stuff. And he played Lakelands, and I just. I just loved his tone and played his, played those basses a couple of times. And just, like I said, the, the attention to the little details of, of just, yeah, it's a Fender copy, but they really nail it. And then, you know, stick to some other things. I'm also a big, big fan. And I know this is a, a controversial thing in the bass world of stringing it through the body. I love bass. For some reason, I think every bass should have that.
0: Mm.
1: Um, I, I know some people say it does nothing. <laughs> uh, but to me, it, it, it makes the whole thing a lot more resonant and uh, really makes the strings a little bit tighter, which I have also realized I like. Mm. Uh, I the kind of, you know, a little tenser strings so that they're a little more responsive rather than noodley. Um So I actually, a bass that I use a lot for some of these corporate gigs I've been doing recently is the Squire. It's the Squire Jaguar that I, I did a demo for, but I put a new bridge on it and drilled the holes through it. And it's a it's a $200 bass that I added maybe $100 worth of stuff to it. And now I love it. It's it's a medium scale. It's 32 inches and everything. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not the finest instrument I've ever played by, by any stretch of the imagination. But it's kind of fun to take. I am not much of a modder. To to my bases, but this one in particular, I, I I'm really digging it because it's it's also a lot. I have shoulder issues, so playing something that's lighter and a little easier to carry around. And then also all the travel, such a crapshoot, right? Yeah. You go you yeah. you either check your base and then hope it shows up at your destination, <laughs> which and sometimes especially if you're going on tour, your destination is not your destination. Your destination right. is where you meet the bus, and then to like by the time the base shows up, you're you know two states over <laughs> uh so taking that taking a 200 hundred dollar instrument on a plane if they need to check it okay <laughs> you know it's Correct. it's not the end of the world if something happens to it i can get another one it's not you know the people the guys that, that tour with their their 65 J or whatever um I, i'm in awe of their i would their be confidence. so frightened i would be yeah. so frightened always yeah. yeah
0: yeah um let's talk about uh tour life a little bit Mm-hmm. So you, you, we, t- we touched on it a bit, but what is the typical day on tour for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, with, with Generation X, which is the last kind of bigger tour I was doing, um, because the show is so long and each of those guys needs to get a full um Sound check and make sure all their stuff's doing. It's the hardest I've ever had to work. I'm, I'm basically the the sound checks will be three and four hours long. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, and because you know, especially when you're traveling and using different gear, who knows what's going to go wrong that day? I'm not necessarily playing that whole time, but I need to yeah. be available. Right. So, like like you're saying, I'll be in this beautiful place, like you know, uh, some city in America I'd never been to before, or uh, I'm, like I said, I'm from New York originally. Uh, I'll have friends who are like, Oh, can I come to soundcheck or can we meet up for dinner? And I'll have to be like, maybe, you know, cause then I, I just don't know, you know? And, yeah. and so that, that can get frustrating and, but you have to remember you're there to work. You know, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in, Oh, I want to go see this museum. I want to go see this park. I want to go see this statue and all that stuff. And it's like, no, that's, that's for next time. Right. So we, we were talking before we, uh, I have a list of places I, I that you, you kind of go, oh, this this needs more time, right? So uh, Iceland is one of them. Uh, even though we had a little bit of time off in Iceland, that was a long time ago. A uh, couple of different places in Europe, uh, Thailand is a big one. I, I love Asia. I was able to, after the, the last generation X tour, which was actually in Asia in 2019, which in hindsight is a little scary, <laughs> uh, because we ended in China in December of 2019. Oh, well, wow. luckily I'm not I'm not patient zero, I swear. Yeah, you're um, still
0: here. So it's yeah, that's a good yes, thing. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Uh, but we ended in we ended over there, and I was actually able to fly my now wife out to Japan and we had about five days of of vacation in Japan, which was life changing, really, you know, know, getting to really kind of get into that culture and all that stuff. But so people think touring is so glamorous and you're being flown all these amazing places and all that stuff, but you're, you're tethered to the tour. Right. right? And, and some, some artists uh, and tour managers more are a little more willing to let you go off campus to per se, to you know, kind of wander around, but that gets back to the whole. You got to remember, you're still there to do a job, and and you you don't want to be the guy that people are waiting for because because you ran out to some mall or something like that. You know, like that's not a good look.
0: Uh, so when, many
1: malls on tour, so yes, many malls. Yeah, and they're all the same. Trust me. Like that, you, you get all excited that you're near one, and then you go and you're like, oh, it's exactly like the mall at home. Right. So so there there is a certain aspect of it of you kind of have to get. Get over the fact that you're in a city that you really want to go see, because guess what? You're on tour making music. Isn't that better? You know. And then afterwards, when you when you pile up your frequent flyer miles and make your own vacation out of it, or do like what I said of extend a trip. That that's a big one of you know. And when you realize, oh man, we're going to be done here on this date. I don't have anything after it, so I can stay there. You you book your flight for X amount of days after the fact. Right. And then you guys go see it. And that that's when you can kind of reap the rewards of, okay, I've already been here. I know what I want to see. I know what I don't need to see. I have, you, you might even have made some connections there. You know, you can go back and see that monitor guy that you met in Japan or, you know, South America. That's another, point. Oh, uh, Uruguay is mm-hmm. another one very high on the list. Montevideo Uruguay is uh, been there twice now. Uh, beautiful, place beautiful people it's and it's remote enough that if you play there there before you play a note they are immensely excited you're there basically you know like they're like oh my god you came. that's that's all we care about you know and wow. and just that appreciation of it all and so that there's c- certain places like that poland is another one like some of the crowds there are just out of control just because they don't get it as much Right. Right. So certain pockets of America too. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Like compared to the, to the LA crowd, which could care less a lot of times (laughs) (laughs) or they're standing there with their arms crossed going, why aren't I on this gig? Um, Although I will say, I think the pandemic has changed a bunch of that. I think people are so much more appreciative of live entertainment that they've, they've they've been so hungry for it that I I played the whiskey with Paul Gilbert a couple months ago expecting the crowd to be the LA crowd and they were rocking out and and proved me wrong and I was I was very happy to see that
0: beautiful that's yeah. amazing yeah um who inspired you growing up
1: wow um the ones I mentioned sting obviously you know from the police that that, that was the that was the impetus of all of it uh and then uh through bass magazine found Victor Wooten and fell very very hard down his his wormhole and started, you know, got spent the $50 on the VHS clamshell thing of super solo bass technique Woo! and and basically wore the damn thing out, you know, rewinding, going, okay, down, up, down, up, down with the thumb and all that stuff. So that's how he does it. And to the point where, and this is sort of an aside, but I think the there's no mystery about any of this stuff anymore, mm-hmm. right? You used, to, you used to hear in a, a recording, And you'd hear someone do something on bass and you'd be like, I have no idea how they're like, how do you even make that sound on a four string bass guitar? Or how do you make all of that sound? You know, like his solo stuff and all that. How are you doing that? Now you go on YouTube, you see it immediately, right? So you you get your answer almost immediately rather than try to figure it out yourself. You know, and I think there's a little bit lost there where instead of filling in the gaps with your own creative concept, you just go to the source and copy them.
0: Yeah. Right. right. On the other hand, on the other hand, uh I have a 13-year-old son who's playing bass and he's been playing oh, for cool. a little bit. And uh the other day he's playing this beautiful line and and I didn't recognize it, but it was it was a really pretty line. Mm-hmm. And I said, "What what is that? Is that what are you what are you playing?" And he's all, "Oh, it's a Victor Wooten song." I didn't even know he knew who Victor Wooten was. Wow. Number 1. I said, "Well, how did you learn that?" He's all, "Well, YouTube, dad." And mm-hmm. so on that end, I think that's amazing yes but i I understand what you're saying about you know we're you know we're sitting there rewinding cassette tapes trying to learn Mm -hmm. a section yeah and I wondering. know we're
1: I know we're sounding like old fogies saying it, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like these kids these days I don't know how good they got it. But, you know, I I tell myself that that's the one thing that maybe they're missing is is you know in the same way of you know my mom's a science teacher and I'm I'm super interested in in science and nature and all that stuff. Yeah. Instead of one instead of coming up with your own reason why the sky is blue, you immediately get on Wikipedia and figure it out. Right. You know, there's there's no wondering anymore and then and have like kind of making a scientific hypothesis which is almost always going to be wrong but just that that that, i think that feeds creativity a little bit more and maybe we're missing out on that but you're absolutely right too that knowing how to to fall into the youtube wormhole is is another way of having stuff come across your plate that you never would have seen otherwise right you know so but yeah so victor rootin was a big big one um uh Jocko, obviously, although uh, in more recent years, I'm a little tired of the Jocko worship and thinking that, you know, that it's that that bass playing stopped there in terms of development. And if you play fretless, it has to be back pickup, uh, J bass and mid-rangey and honky. So I've kind of now I'm realizing some of the the deeper cut bass players that people don't know as as well are are, were as much of an influence as the you know the the trilogy of the gods of you know victor and jocko and michael manning was a big one you know in terms of the whole solo bass thing who knows Mm -hmm. who knew you could do that yeah you know until until he came along except Mm -hmm. for like portrait tracy but guys like fema efron who was in screaming headless torsos Mm. Uh, that changed my life. Um, Bill Laswell, who's more of a producer than a bass player, that Praxis album. I don't know if you've ever heard that. It's called Mutation Mut- Mutatus Mutandus. It's it's life changing. Really? You know, it's it's one of those things. Back, it's from the mid nineties, and I remember hearing it and being like, I didn't know you could smash all these types of music together. I thought you had to do just maybe one or two, and you're a funk metal band. I didn't know you could be a funk metal noise jazz industrial crazy band you know (laughs) and so so things like that Um, Percy Jones from Brand X is another in terms of fretless another huge and huge huge influence on me Um, Pino obviously guys like that and then Chris Chaney I I have trouble saying this because he's another you know semi friend of mine Um, I saw him playing with Alanis on TV when I was maybe 18 or 19 and I remember watching it with my mom and going, mom, look, I can, that's what I want to do. He's he's not he's not in the band, right? He didn't start the band. It's not his band. He's hired to play with these musicians. But just seeing him be a an utter monster on the instrument and B able to sort of hop from one thing to the next and make a living that way, as far as I could tell from my 19-year-old suburban existence, inspired me to go, I can do this. You know, it's, it's and it's not just a matter of starting a band and making it famous with the band. Right. It's 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 if you get your stuff together and you go and you get these auditions and you make these connections, that's the career. It's not necessarily you and your four buddies, uh, you know, putting all your 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 ducks in, into one. That's not the right euphemism, <laughs> 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 but uh, all your eggs in one basket right. to, uh, you know, to, to make that happen or not and struggling until then there's there's other roads to a music career and so every time i see chris i i try i try to stop myself from being like dude you're the reason i do this you know uh, because it was it was like i said both his playing but just also being able to to be a, a freelance bass player i i i was inspired by realizing oh that's a thing
0: right <laughs> you know i'm gonna right. go do that yeah, Chris is great. It was it was yeah. really cool to see him playing with Ozzy, too. I was I was yeah. very very happy he's, for
1: him. He was thunderous in the stadium too. It yeah. was it yeah. was so cool. He was not buried in the mix at all.
0: That's great. Who inspires
1: you now of the uh, up and coming young players? Hmm. Um, some of these these metal guys are amazing. I mean Evan Brewer and uh, this this guy Killian Duarte is is really good. And it's, uh, yeah. uh, that's all in the more of the metal world. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the bass player from Revocation, who's I, I love that band. There, that just that band's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not up and coming, but she's still my favorite bass player ever. At this point, is Michelle and De Gea Oh yeah. Just because uh, she breaks every single rule of bass playing ever, and <laughs> you know she's she's playing out of time. She's playing. She it's much more of a voice than an instrument. and that's and so with especially with my students i have them learn all the rules you you play the root on beat one you lock with the drummer you stay in time you don't speed up or slow down you all that stuff and then i play them her and all my all my favorite examples of her playing and point out how she's not doing any of that (laughs) and it's and and it's and it's so beautiful because of it so she she's still a huge sort of influence on me um and then yeah i i I wish I had more modern examples, but it's, it's more kind of more appreciating people I've heard my whole life, right. like Pino and, and things like that, that, that album that Pino did with that, um, Oh, what's his name? Blake Mills. That that's, it's super minimal and just, just gorgeous. And the, the thing, like what we were saying before, the tone and the timing is the star. Yeah. Not, not the, Oh my God, so many notes kind right, of
0: thing, right, right. you know,
1: cause that's, that that's really just been done you know uh there's um uh, a funk band called the polyrhythmics that the guitar player i grew up with is in and their bass player whose name is unfortunately avoiding me right now is freaking killer um i've uh sat in with um i've done i've subbed for chris stillwell who plays with carl denson's tiny universe he's a monster of like that's really throwback kind of 60s 70s uh very b kind of bass tone sort of world, you know. Um so yeah, it's it's all over the place. And in the same way that I love playing different styles of music, I obviously listen to, to different styles of music too. So
0: it's important. Oh yeah. Dude, thank you so much for jumping on here, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um any, Dude, this this is great. Any uh last minute advice for for some players out there?
1: Yeah. Uh, I'd say, you know, take lessons is a big one, you know, and it, only because, and this gets back to the YouTube conversation. Yes. You can, you can see a tutorial on anything you want to do. You know, you can, you can learn portrait of Tracy note by note from someone who's broken it down. You can learn Victor Wooten's entire solo record from him directly, but feedback is the biggest part of it because I, I, myself and all the other good teachers I know they make it rather than, okay, here's the list of what you do to get to the good bass player, you know, award. What how, how, what, what works for you? You know, like what what kind of music are you into? What kind of bass player do you want to be? Mm-hmm. Do you want to be like me or I'm wearing a different hat, or, you know, and, and all that stuff? Or do you want to only do punk rock? And do you want to just focus just on punk rock? There's universalness to all of it. You still kind of want to learn how to do some walking jazz, even if you just want to play punk rock. But having someone kind of work with you and give you feedback of, oh, here's why you're struggling with that, or here's an idea that maybe you wouldn't have thought of, or all that, I think is way more important. than So a one-hour lesson with a good private teacher is going to be better than 24 hours on YouTube uh. because, because it's tailored to you, right? And, and not only where you are playing-wise, but where you want to get to and what you're into and what kind of music you're doing and all that. So as, as much as the digital thing is, is available and these online courses stuff, and I'm not taking anything away from those because I've learned a ton from them, but find, find a, a, a teacher or just a, even a, just a bass player that you admire and see if you can get that feedback of, right. oh, you're holding it wrong or try playing that on this fret instead of that fret. And I, I love doing that with my students because their, their victories are my victories. Ultimately, I I say that a lot, but it's kind of like, okay, if you weren't able to do that an hour ago and now you are, I'm just as excited as you are about (laughs) that. Like, that's just, that's just really cool. And I think that comes back to my mom being a science teacher and her like having the patience to, to teach you things, but it's, it's, it's very exciting. And so, yeah, I think to to get better, don't ignore taking a a base lesson from, from, you know, from someone, even if you think you're technically better than that. You know, even if it's someone who, who doesn't know how to slap and you're a slap master, there's probably, if they have gigs and they've they got stuff going on, there's pro- there's almost definitely something you can learn from them.
0: Great advice. Awesome. Thank Thanks you for so listen- much, man. Oh, dude. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening into the Bass Freaks podcast. Stay healthy, stay kind, spread love, enjoy kindness, good vibes, and inspiration. And remember, you got this. Follow your path, whatever it may be, and just play. Until next time, cheers. And a huge thank you to Dunlop for making this show possible. Make sure you check out Bass Freaks wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers.